When I look in the mirror, I don't see wrinkles. When I look in the mirror, I see hair on my head, not my shoulder. And hello, hello, hello. This is Adrian Berg, and this is Generation Bold, the Fountain of Truth. And we are very, very happy today to bring to you John Hishta. He's with the AARP. I know every single time we have one of the senior VPs from the AARP, so much light is shed on things that have to do with our real life day to day as opposed to the theoretical. And we have that with John in spades, we should say, because he's a recognized political consultant. He's a strategist. And really, what does that mean? It means he has to make things happen. Uh, And he's been doing that for 30 years, whether with elected officials or political campaigns. And now uh, he's joined the AARP for quite a number of years already. And he leads a department that uh, manages issues and campaigns. Now, just not only on the national level, which you may think of in terms of the AARP, but also on the state levels. And right now, he has many focuses, but the one that we are speaking about has to do with the cost of your prescription drugs. Okay, uh, as you get older, the word donut means something different than Duncan. It means you have to stop taking for, for your prescription drugs for a while because you're in the donut hole. And every single year that you take a look, you discover it's more and more uh, of your retirement income that's going toward this. So this is very serious business for each of us day to day. Thank you, John, so much for being with us. Oh, good morning, and I'm happy to be here. Looking forward to the conversation. Yeah, I mean, it's going to be a little bit detailed at the beginning, and I'd like to do that because according to the AARP, there's actually bipartisan support. We didn't think there was bipartisan support for anything in the United States, but for this crisis of the high prescription drug prices. Get to the jugular. What are you trying to accomplish here with your strategies and your your work in reducing the cost of prescription drugs? Well, ultimately, what I would say at the outset is that the system is is very complicated, and so in order to lower drug costs, you really have to look at uh, um, a lot of different avenues and what's involved. And ultimately, for us, it's a case of trying to find willing partners, not just on the federal level, but on the state level to chip away at it, if you will. And so I always like to say with this effort, there's no one solution that ultimately is going to lower the price of prescription drugs for consumers at the at the pharmacy counter. And so it's going to take us some time to really offer solutions across the board on a number of different levels to do that. And you're starting to see that happening today with momentum, not just on the state level, but on the federal level, too, because ultimately people are angry and they don't understand why the cost of drugs here in the United States is so much more than it is overseas. And so you're seeing a lot of people offer up solutions, whether it's uh, um, importation, whether it's uh, um, things like trying to uh, um, bring generics to the market quicker whether it's uh, um, things like Medicare negotiation and uh, um, capping out-of-pocket costs for seniors, issues like that. Now, uh, you know, it's true. I do a lot of travel, and I am always floored by the cost of medical tourism, how much less it is, and a lot of that has to do with prescription drugs, not always the compensation for the doctors and the nurses. We really are. We see a huge difference. There's a big gap. So uh, this is a very timely show. 
Uh, I remind everybody who's just tuning in that this is the fountain of truth. We try to get to the truth behind things that might not be so apparent to you. And it's a timely show because this month, actually, in the month of May, a lot of things were happening. Uh, the House floor considered uh, CREATES Act and pay for for delay bill and uh, many other acts. Now, some things are going on right now. So give us an idea of what's happening in Congress at the moment and what they're looking at. The interesting thing is <clears throat> you really do have a moment in time where, unfortunately, here in Washington, D.C., with everybody picking on each other with both parties, if there's one issue that people agree on and are actually working across the aisle on, it's it's trying to reduce the uh, price of prescription drugs. And so both in the House and in the Senate, and frankly, with some of the things that President uh, Trump's administration are putting out, you're seeing multiple avenues of folks offering solutions. So just yesterday, as an example, uh, um, the four leaders of the Energy and Commerce and the Ways and Means Committees released uh, um, um, a framework for, for some legislation to uh, um, bring generics to the market quicker and, and, and increase transparency and things like that. And at the same time, you see a lot of energy in the Senate with the Finance Committee chaired by uh, Senator Grassley of Iowa and also the uh, um, Help Committee chaired by Senator Alexander. So there's a lot of activity. Uh, um, a lot of folks are talking across partisan lines, which is good. And you also have the administration engaged with the uh, congressional leadership on the subject, which is good. And what I think ultimately we're hoping to see is, as you had mentioned, the House had already passed, for instance, the CREATES Act and a pay-for-delay act. A lot of these components we're hoping will be part of a larger package that ultimately from a compromise situation the House and the Senate and the administration can agree on and that will have a, a fairly immediate effect on lowering the cost of drugs uh, uh, for folks around the country. Now, you know, uh, we rarely hear uh, on either side of the aisle that there's cooperation, that the uh, Congress, the legislature, and the executive branch are working together. Here's a place where they are. And the only reason things aren't getting done immediately is what you say. It's complicated. So I want to take this down to the consumer. Uh, every time I speak, John, uh, I, I make a joke about the ads on television that have to do with prescription drugs. Where there's always right. a bladder that seems to be following you around, and then they tell you, you know, take this pill, you'll get dementia, you'll have uh, suicidal thoughts, but you'll be able to eat peppers and it won't hurt you. So it's these long, <laughs> long commercials and their disclaimers. However, uh, according to, the, to what the AARP sent me, just on May 8th, the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, an executive branch agency, uh, made a final rule that these very ads have to talk about pricing as well. Can you unpack that a little bit, and how might well, that affect I us? Think, sure, and I think that's uh, um, the first in a series of things. When, when they talk about transparency issues, uh, what, they're tr what we're trying to do is shed a little bit of a light on how much these drugs cost, why they cost so much, um, who makes a, a lot of the profit off of them. And one of the first steps is, you know, if a drug company is going to be out there advertising uh, um, for a particular product, they ought to be able to, uh, um, in the commercial, tell the American people how much that product costs. And this rule by the uh, uh, HHS secretary essentially 
would mandate that for anybody who's on the air with uh, um, with an advertisement around a, a, a particular drug. And it's something that the pharmaceutical industry, frankly, is fighting tooth and nail uh, uh, because, as they said, quote, unquote, it would confuse the consumer, which really is in many respects uh, um you know, you know, it 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 it, it unfortunately um, demeans the the intelligence of the average American consumer out there. And I think that uh, to the extent that the pharmaceutical industry can continue to make things complicated, that's their way of stopping true solutions from coming to the table that would ultimately reduce costs. Because at the end of the day, that's what you're talking about. You're talking about you know, either through self-policing or government action or something happening that the cost of these drugs will go down a little bit. And unfortunately for the pharmaceutical industry, they'd have to take a hit in their profit margins, but it is what it is. You know, I mean, the consumers in this country should not be paying four, five, six times as much as as, as others pay in countries like uh, you know, anywhere across Europe or England or France or even Canada to some degree, and it's because our system is somewhat flawed. You know, it's so interesting because I want to bring out, and in our next segment we're going to talk about what's going on in the House. I want to bring out to our listeners that there really is three branches of government here working together. But the one that we didn't mention is the judiciary branch. So we have some things going on in the executive branch to reduce costs. We'll talk about uh, the House um, consideration of two bills, the Purple Book and the Orange Book, in our next segment that just happened uh, on May 8th. But what about the judiciary branch? I'm listening to you about consumerism and about television ads that have to have pricing, and I'm thinking about every other consumer product, which doesn't have to have pricing. And I think that from a judicial point of view, the main thing that will come out of this from that third branch is that the pharmaceutical industry is different from all other industries, and that the regulation already is different. We have FDA, we have many other things. But sure. in its transparency to the public, it has to be different from your cleaning products, your beauty products. I mean, there should be transparency in pricing there, too, but it's not the same thing. And the pharmaceutical industry has always argued, from a consumer outreach point of view, that it's a commodity. You may think that it that is the same thing. So, we have the AARP fighting fund for us. As usual, we have John Houston telling us all about it. Don't you go anywhere, and we'll be right back. I'm inappropriate for my age. Da 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 da. Da 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 da. You may think that I'm full of it, but that doesn't bother me, not even a bit, because I am happy. And hello, hello, hello. This is Adrian Berg, and this is Generation Bold, the Fountain of Truth. It is the only syndicated radio show that deals with successful aging, and we look at it from every single point of view. I want to remind you that there's also a companion blog to this, and everything is always free of charge. Uh, that is published by Bottom Line Personal. And if you go to Bottom Line Personal, look for Aging for Beginners, and you will see everything that I've been writing about. By the way, my latest one is on cannabis. I went to Denver, and I took a look and see what's going on over there. You'd be surprised. Let's put it this way. It's not your grandmother's grass anymore. In fact, you're not even allowed to use that word <laughs> because it's not fancy enough. It's cannabis now. 
All right. Uh, speaking of drugs, uh, that may be the drug of choice, but there are a lot of drugs you have to take that you wouldn't choose to do. Those are your prescription drugs if you didn't have to. And John Hishta is here with us. He's the AAR, uh, AARP Senior Vice President, uh, who's really in in charge of strategizing on how to lower our drug prices. And he does this on the political arena, both state and federal. And we've been talking about some things that are, have gone on this very month, very timely show, uh, with regard to drug pricing. One of those took place on May 8th, where the House floor considered two bills, one called the Purple Book, Continuity Act, the other the Orange Book. Now, that's very colorful, John, but what, what does it mean? I mean, ultimately, it refers to uh, um, the ability of generics to get to the market quicker. And uh, um, the reason why they, they come up with these names is it basically reflects a certain uh, um, uh, set of medicines. And in this case, for instance, the Purple Book refers to patents on uh, biologic medicines. And in many cases, what happens is um, generics have the ability to come to market, and they're a lot cheaper than the brand name drugs, and sometimes they're stopped from doing so. And what this, this is attempting to do, um, it would update the uh, FDA's ability to bring those drugs to market a little bit sooner. So um, that's just another example of how you try to come at the problem. What uh, um, a lot of people may or may not know, most gen people take generics uh, um, when it comes to their prescription drugs, and they are, uh, uh, to a large degree, a lot cheaper than the brand name costs. And what brand name companies try to do is prevent similar generic medicines from coming to the market because that, again, affects their bottom line ultimately in terms of the money they make. John, I'm going to tell you a little story that I think you'll appreciate, and I hope uh, that the listeners get a little fun out of it. Many, many years ago, I would say maybe 30, I was working for a group called CSS, Community Service Society, and the head of it was Janet Sainer, a gerontologist who later became the Commissioner on Aging for the City of New York. Right? The first generic drug law came to New York City. However, nobody had even ever heard of what is a generic drug. They were suspicious of generic drugs, and when they went to the pharmacy, nobody told them there was such a thing as generic drugs. Right. Hand to God, we went to a store. We bought Oak Tag. Remember Oak Tag? We don't mm -hmm. even use it anymore. It's big white sheets. And in it, with a magic marker, we wrote the generic drug rule, and we cut it up, and we went to pharmacies all over the city of New York and pasted it with scotch tape on the counters. Yeah. So people would, can you imagine the primitive? I mean, today we would have tweeted something, and we're home. We're finished, right? But not yep. then. They, they didn't even know what generic drugs were. And to think, yeah, it's incredible 30, how it's changed the market. Yeah. Yep. Right. 30 years later, um, they're still talking about it, right? And now they're trying to get it to market even faster. So these are the things that are, are happening. And, and I want to I tell that story only in the context of the fact of how long it takes to chip away on That's this right. issue. So now let's, let's morph a little bit down. So the House Energy and Commerce Subcommittee uh, is a meeting with regard to drug supply chains. And I was fascinated to read that from your material because I said to myself, what do they have to do with this, the House Energy and Commerce Subcommittee? So explain that to us and, and explain also what is a drug supply chain. 
So uh, two things. First of all, the, the uh, House Energy and Commerce Committee is one of the committees of jurisdiction that uh, um, work would take place in order to come up with some legislation to deal with this issue. Energy and Commerce deals with a lot of the different uh, um, fundamental economic issues that face the country. The other is you'll see things coming out of the Ways and Means Committee, which has frankly, tax writing authority and also some economic authority in the House. And so those are the two big committees of jurisdiction when it comes to where legislation originates on this subject in the House. And when we talk about supply chain, I think the most important thing to remember is that ultimately this starts with the pharmaceutical manufacturing companies setting the list price for brand name drugs at the onset and that list price drives everything else in the food chain in terms of how ultimately it gets uh, um, down to the consumer and what the consumer pays for it and unless you deal with that aspect of it where it originates and make an effort to lower that cost on the front end you're never really going to ultimately lower the cost of uh, prescription drugs across the board and so A lot of the bigger solutions to these things, for instance, like Medicare negotiation, which, frankly, Medicare is one of the largest consumers of prescription drugs in the country, and it ought to have the ability to negotiate with these pharmaceutical companies, which it does not have right now, to lower the cost of these drugs. And that's one of the things you're seeing AARP and others like us push in terms of one of the solutions, because Again, at the end of the day, unless you lower that list price on the back end, you're never really going to be able to ultimately and fundamentally alter the cost of drugs and lower the price at the consumer counter. You know, um, as you're talking about Medicare and also Medicaid, um, it's almost a monolithic consumer of drugs. And it's amazing to me that it does not have already the clout if they were a private company buying drugs from drug companies, they would have tremendous negotiating clout. So I want to unpack that a little bit in our next segment. And also, how you get things done. Uh, right before our show, I was talking to John, and I said two things pop out at me. One, that you're an advocate, and two, that you're a lobbyist. And he said, yes, I actually am a registered lobbyist. And I, uh, but I go about it in a more strategic way, and I, I deal a lot with public and media. So when we come back, we're going to talk about the differences here, because I think as an overall view of this, it's not just about prescription drugs. It's about how things get done, particularly when they have to get done at the state level and the federal level, and you have to make change on so many different ways, through so many different committees, through both legislative, through executive mandates, and of course, getting the public to understand and put some pressure on their own representatives. Otherwise, it won't happen. So we'll talk about some self-advocacy in a minute when we come back. And don't remember, don't forget, we are on every single week. And you can listen to us, not only on your radio, but at most of your podcast outlets as well, like iTunes. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. And I freely admit I'm inappropriate for my age. Da-da-da-da. You may think that I'm full of it, but that doesn't bother me, not even a bit, because I am happy, and I freely admit I'm inappropriate. 
Hello, hello, hello. This is Adrian Berg, and this is Generation Bold, the Fountain of Truth. And as I was saying right at the end of our last segment, we are not only available to you um, through the wonderful stations where you can simply turn on the radio, as you have done in the old days. You can listen to us uh, and all of our archived shows on our website, generationboldradio.com. But we are also on all the podcast disseminators, whether it's Breacher or it's iTunes, Google Podcasts, uh, we are there. And if you subscribe to any one of them, you can get our show, Generation Bold, The Fountain of Truth. And every single week, we post those shows, usually by Wednesday. Uh, And, of course, we're heard live on Saturday nights and Sunday mornings on most of our stations. So uh, getting back to the big issue of aging, very interesting because I do a lot of speaking and I talk about becoming invisible. And one place where we are not invisible, and John Hishta, who is Senior Vice President with the AARP uh, and a political strategist, acknowledges it, is at the voting booth. And in this segment, we're going to talk about what you could do. Look, I don't think anybody listening wants more expensive prescription drugs. You all want to contain costs and have right-priced drugs without limiting companies for doing their research. That's what we want. We want to continue our good health and our longevity. We want to pay as little as possible, and that is nothing wrong with that. So, so John, you you spend your career influencing uh, in Washington and on state levels. As a professional, how do you do it, and what would you tell laymen, the listeners, about their own power to make change? I would say ultimately I always refer to the system and people talk about how people get elected in the world we live in in politics. But at the end of the day, the most important thing to somebody who's in public office is they have to get 50 plus 1 percent of the vote in order to make decisions for the people they represent. And so it's really important on a first step that people vote in every election And where this uh, um, doesn't come into play a lot is not necessarily in presidential elections or or congressional elections, but in a lot of cases, state and local elections, people just don't bother to show up to vote. And those folks have an outsized influence over our daily lives. And so first and foremost, I would encourage people that it's important to take that first step and vote in every election. And it's also important to understand even at the national level – how close these elections are and what ultimately happens and and who gets to represent us. If you look at 2016, for example, if 80,000 votes had switched in some combination of Wisconsin, Michigan, Pennsylvania, and Florida, it wouldn't be President Trump. That's how close the election was ultimately. And so I think people need to start there. The second thing is... In this day and age of the chaos of social media and everything that's going on in terms of the different uh, um, noise out there, the most important thing that people can do is make sure that their elected officials hear from them directly. And that has a, a great impact on folks as well back home. And so if you have the ability to volunteer for an organization like AARP or others locally, that can help you organize and show up at members of Congress's town halls or their office hours or things of that nature, 
members really listen to that stuff. And so what we try to do here at AARP is help organize volunteers around the country. We're a nationwide organization. It's very uh, easy for us to galvanize the fact that uh, we have 38 million members around the country, and that helps us uh, deliver messages to, to members of Congress on issues like prescription drugs because they know our electorate votes, and they also know we're very engaged, the 50-plus in particular, with issues like this, and we're going to deliver the message. And so it's really important for people to just personally get engaged however they see fit. And at no small amount of time is uh, um, not worth it. Everybody's efforts combined make a big impact. And, and you're seeing that on this uh, prescription drug effort that we're, we're putting together across the country. You know, two, two things are brought to mind here. Met um, my son, who is a, actually a Disney executive now, started out in Washington uh, as a staff for a variety of different Congress people. And he would say how influential the individual was who, would, who was a constituent who would write or call. And I said, well, how many people do that? And he said, honestly, very few. Sometimes a congressman would say to him, Oh, we really have to look into this. My constituents really care. I got six letters or six phone calls. That's how powerful you are. So I want to bring That's that right. home. It's really hard to believe in this world that you count, but and particularly as you get older, but you count. So that that's number one. The other is I, I want to ask you, John, uh, and that is the new age of communication. It used to be we would say, write your congressman. Let's say you're a person that you are, you're an individual and you're not a volunteer at the moment. Although being an AARP volunteer is a terrific thing, I've done it many times myself. Um, what should you do? Should you email them? Should you go on? Sure. Website? I mean, there's two. Yeah, letter? there's two things I would. There's th or three things you could do. One is, or four actually. One is you could write an old-fashioned letter because they still get to members of Congress's office and they still read them. And in particular, if you're a constituent, they're going to take seriously what you write. You could also do that through an email as well. Again, as long as they know you're a constituent of theirs, they're going to take into consideration what you, you write. The third thing is you can pick up the phone and make a phone call either to the Washington office or to the office uh, back home where the congressman or the senator represents the state or the district. And, again, staff will record your input and make sure the congressman or the senator knows about it. And then the fourth thing, which probably has the greatest impact, is show up at a district office in your hometown and make your opinion known to the staff there or try to find out when the local congressman or the senator either have a town hall or office hours that you can go to and make your opinion known there too. Now, the, one of the other things that we do a lot of with our members, which also has an impact, is what we call teletown halls where we can provide a member of Congress or a senator an opportunity to speak to thousands of AARP members in a certain area of the country over the phone, too. And again, it allows for folks to uh, um, get their opinions known and, and, and have a little bit of a conversation about specific issues. So those are four tangible things right there. Again, I come back to, in each case, it's because you're a voter and you're a constituent and that person represents you, you have a, a voice in the process 
And every time you do that, magnify it by thousands because there's more people doing the same thing. You have a big impact on the on, on the member of Congress. I have to say that, you know, it's Memorial Day weekend, and, and it's very, very moving to me. What you're just talking about now is, to me, the most moving thing about this country. You really can have a voice if you're active. Um, before we end that segment, again, a little story. I have some friends from South America, and they were coming uh, to visit the U.S., and I said, well, first we'll go to D.C., and we will watch Congress in action in session. And then we'll meet my congressman, and we'll talk about some of the certain things that have to that was of interest to them. And they said they looked at me. They said, "Adrian, what are you talking about? You can go and watch the, the government in action. You can go and meet That's right. your representative." And they 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 thought that they were it was from the moon, but we accept that. That's the way it is here. And yep. if we don't take advantage of a whose fault is it but our own? Right. Well, that's exactly so, uh, right. Citizen it, it, participation ultimately will move the uh, elected official class to take action depending on what we, we pursue. And, and, and that's just the bottom that, line. Yeah, that, that, that this is something special. It doesn't happen every day and it doesn't happen in every country. Now, it doesn't mean there aren't issues. So when we come back, we're going to be continuing to speak with John uh, Hishta. Uh, senior VP of, of the uh, AARP, about his role, his particular role, for, on a state level. And what's going on on a state level? Uh, if people ask me, as a consultant to companies, what is the one thing on the mind of most baby boomers right now? It's a very easy answer. Where should they live? Should they sell their house? Should they move to another state? If so, which state would it be? They're thinking in terms of their finances. Uh, and that is actually, right now, what they're working on, even above their health care. Although they care about it, their big decision now is where should they live. Well, that means that prescription drug attitudes, legislation, and pricing could be different from state to state. And that's one you of the things that John is on top of. of well, let's talk that about that. See what's going on in your state. Don't go anywhere. I am happy and I freely admit. I'm inappropriate for my age. Da 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 da. Da 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 da. You may think that I'm full of it, but that doesn't bother me not even a bit. Cause I am happy and I freely admit I'm inappropriate for my age. Da 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 da. Hello, hello, hello. This is Adrian Berg, and this is Generation Bold, the Fountain of Truth. And I don't think that in the past four years I have ever not said this. We don't have enough time to finish everything that we should be looking at. So let's continue our conversation. All you have to do is go to our website, generationboldradio.com, or my website, adrianberg, A-D-R-I-A-N-E-B-E-R-G.com, and you can ask Adrian if there's a topic, if there's a guest, if there's something on your mind. Let us know, and that is the way we create the show, because really you're creating the show. Uh, and if you're interested in some of the amusings that I might have from time to time, take a look at our blog, Aging for Beginners, at Bottom Line Personal. Okay, let us go back to um, John Hishta. He is the Senior Vice President with the AARP, who works as a consultant and a strategist in making change 
on many levels, state and federal level, uh, for our benefit. Simple as that. And one of those things he's trying to benefit right now and focus on is the cost of prescription drugs. And we all, throughout the show, we've looked at the many layers, the many levels of this, federal level, different executive branch, legislative branch, judicial branch, what we can do uh, with the power we have at the voting booth. All of this has to do with the end result of what that little pillbox is going to cost you that you have in your cupboard. But there's another element to this. And that is what goes on at the state levels. So we're going to turn to that right now, John, because people do look at what taxes are different in different states, the cost of living in different states, and one of those elements, of course, is prescription prescription drugs. So how do you see this? Well, I see what the states are doing, and frankly, they're ahead of the federal government on this uh, um, issue. It's very important because it's bringing momentum across the country to bear on elected officials at the federal level, too. And individual states have been engaged in this for the past several years, and a number of them have already passed or issued, you know, very high-profile executive orders or passed legislation. This year alone, I mean, over 20 to 30 states are engaged in some sort of uh, um, effort to lower prescription drug prices uh, um, in their individual states. A lot of it has to do with, you know, we talked a little bit about transparency and and bringing truth to power, so to speak, to the consumer so that they know where the costs are coming from in terms of what they pay. And other states, for instance, Florida just passed a, a groundbreaking uh, importation uh, law, which would allow Floridians to uh, uh, purchase uh, uh, prescription drugs from Canada. Now, granted, the uh, um, Secretary of HHS at the federal level has to approve that, but the president has already told him that that should happen, and they ha- need to figure out a way to make that happen. Another one that stands out uh, um, in a big way is California, where the governor himself has issued an executive order which would allow the state to do bulk purchasing of uh, um, prescription drugs for for folks that uh, utilize their state programs or whether they're employees or the state Medicaid program or other things like that. So there's a lot of different ways people are trying to bring the costs down around the country. And what I love to say about state government is they're great incubators for ideas that other states can copy and ultimately that the federal government can copy. And so there's a lot of original activity going on, uh, um, depending on where you look across the country in these individual states. You know, it it was very interesting to me to see the list of where innovation is going on because I tend to see, I, I, I study states a lot because of this big issue of where are people moving. And I do tend to see uh, the Carolinas, Florida, New Mexico, uh, Arizona, the, the states where people are drawn to because of the weather initially yep. that have become retirement states. But in this particular area, although you mentioned Florida, it's very interesting to see Wisconsin, Nebraska. What's going on there? And uh, are they, they're obviously not retirement. No, but I think that you're finding uh, um, that, that there is a fairly large constituency in those states. you got to remember a lot of the upper Midwest and northeast states um, uh, have a very uh, large aging population. And a lot of those folks t- 
stay in place, and and so there's an effort on the part of uh, the elected officials in those states to reduce costs, too. I mean, a place like Wisconsin or Pennsylvania or even uh, Michigan, those are some of the oldest states in the country. Uh, um, And so they're obviously hearing from their constituents about the cost of prescription drugs, and they're trying to do something about it. One other thing I would make note of, though, is even though we're talking about uh, the 50-plus constituents here, here, this issue in particular with respect to uh, the cost and the prices of prescription drugs affects everybody of all ages. And it doesn't matter how old you are or what demographic you are or how much money you make or where you live in the country. Everybody thinks they pay too much money, and it's true, for prescription drugs and so it's an issue that is, frankly, resonating with elected officials around the country on all levels because they're starting to hear the anger coming from their constituents. And, and you know, there's another aspect to this. We, we all know that we may be at a theater sitting next to somebody who paid nothing for the ticket, and we paid $100. And we all know That's that right. we're on an airplane, and there may be a difference. And we accept it. It's very hard to swallow that the same pill for the same diabetes is going to cost you something different in one state versus another state. We're already horrified by the fact that it costs different in different countries. But state to state, somehow, when it comes to our fundamental health, it does seem like this is of a different order and that it's fundamentally wrong uh, for our health care to cost different things in different places, even though we're perfectly happy to understand that a movie ticket might be, or even clothing, or even real estate. This is different, and I'm so happy that the AARP is looking at it for us under the microscope and in all these different tentacles that have to be dealt with, because it really, as you said originally, it's a complex issue. So I thank you very much. We've been speaking uh, to John Hishta, AARP Senior Vice President, about something very timely. All through the month of May, things have been going on in Congress and uh, before that as well. They will be again. But if there's anything that you got out of this show today is that your influence counts, which was a radio mantra of a very good friend of mine for many, many years. It really does count. And as I say, every single week, and more so on this show than ever. Get out there, kids, and make it happen. I'm inappropriate.